Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Colleen Quigley. Colleen Quigley holds a master's degree specializing in archives from the University of Toronto and is acting head of archives and special collections at Memorial Libraries. Her primary responsibilities include managing the vast treasures of the division's performing arts collection, which includes North America's largest online performing arts poster collection. In addition to archival work, Colleen is also a trained dancer with a degree from York University who performs and choreographs regularly. Colleen Quigley, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dale. I am always delighted to have an archivist uh, on the show. We are delightful, that's true. <laughs> you are surprisingly delightful, it's I will true. say that. It's true. Um, so welcome. And I, I we're going to have a chat about archives and special collections and all that kind of jazz. I'd like all that jazz. Yes. I would like to start jazz. with a song. <laughs> um, I want to start off just by uh, asking you about how you got your start in archives. What drew you to that world because it is a very specific kind of thing it absolutely is and actually my background is really dance and performance and the arts so in many ways it's counter to a lot of the the qualities of archives which we often stereotype as being a lot of stillness a lot of not so dynamic as moving around a stage that I've learned is yeah. not true, that it is quite a dynamic profession and career. Uh, my mom is an archivist and a historian, so I really spent my whole life fighting against archives <laughs> history. Um, and then I got sucked into the to the pool of heritage as a young, young impressionable 20-something-year-old who, yeah, was trying to, you know, just make it in the world as a dancer. <laughs> and of course, I had to supplement my, my career with other jobs. And summer jobs included, um, I spent one summer, one fantastic summer in the Basilica Museum, and I was a tour guide there. Okay, yeah. um, and then I also worked for the Archives Association, ANLA, yeah. which was fantastic. It was a great gig. Uh, I got to do things like write biographical sketches and administrative histories. So I learned a lot about um, figures and events in our own provincial history. So I learned that, begrudgingly, our history is actually quite interesting, uh, <laughs> even I though I fought against it as a teenager. <laughs> um, and there's some great stories, great figures, and g- fantastic, weird, wonderful, horrible. I mean, it's just, as you know, it's it's like a... a a vortex. So yes, so I was working for ANLA and it was just serendipitous, I guess. Um, There was a think tank that was organized nationally. I guess this must have been 2005, 2006, probably 2006. And uh, the think tank was specifically about the grassroots movement of archiving contemporary dance and stage dance. So very much specific to um, contemporary ballet, musical theater, vaudeville, that that kind of thing. So I I met with a a large group of people and I was the representative from Newfoundland. So Anla actually sent, sent me as with my interest in dance and also my burgeoning reluctant interest in archives (laughs) I was kind of the go-to person so I went to this think tank and it was amazing there were some phenomenal uh, DCD dance collection dance was there Um, the National Ballet of Canada who has their their own institutional archives was there then there were also some individuals like Peggy Baker um, representatives from the Danny Grossman Dance Company they're doing some really interesting things also some dancers in Quebec we know how great they are with their intangible cultural heritage 
So um, this is a very long answer to a very <laughs> short question. <laughs> yes. So I went to this think tank and I was inspired. I was excited. This is great. This is then I thought, you know, someone should actually for our province really take on the mantle for dance and for performing arts because it is so specific. Um, its needs in terms of preservation. Uh, it's so different than archiving an institution or an organization or a corporation or even an individual's papers, trying to capture the performing arts, the process, the final product, everything, the context around it is um, is really daunting and exciting. So I decided, you know what, I will be that person that should go away and, and actually get a degree in archives. So I went to the University of Toronto's uh, Faculty of Information, which is now the iSchool high school at, at U of T um, and spent two years there and mixed and mixed and matched a lot of my courses because um, I don't think that that performance uh, fits neatly into the archive stream of mm-hmm. most programs you need to know about museums so you need to know about set design and artifacts and costumes and and the tangible things that are so important to the dance and the production or the ritual or whatever however you're particularly looking at at dance. Um, And then I also thought it was really important to do media theory and information theory. So what is information? How do we communicate all of those bigger questions? And I think it's really important as all professionals that we look at these um, specific questions about, you know, how do you preserve this paper and acid-free uh, mylar enclosures and all of and in certain environmental controls it's good to know all of those sorts of things but also to think a bit more broadly and more philosophically about what are we doing what are we doing in this world what are we Dale? doing, what are we doing? <laughs> who are we who am i uh so that is who i am in a ginormous nutshell it's a big nutshell that was a big nutshell and yeah. a big nut i guess <laughs> <laughs> the moral so, of the story is, yeah, yeah so so yeah so toronto was a really it served me really well and um you did, you did a little project there at the at the airport Yes. I remember. I remember going through the airport and you had curated this little exhibit. All me. All by myself. No, it was a whole team. But I'll take all <laughs> so, of the so credit. So tell me about that. Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, I'm famous. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm so glad you saw that I exhibit at the Malton, the Malton Airport in yeah. uh, Toronto, the Pearson, Pearson airport. Toronto Pearson Airport. Yes. So I was really lucky. As I said, I was studying museums in my, in my degree at U of T. Uh, so I was taking a course on cura- curation of exhibits and I had a group of really fantastic group of three other very smart, lovely ladies. Um, And we had the lucky task of um, curating an exhibit about the National Ballet Company, so Canada's National Ballet Company. So we were able to pitch an idea to them how we wanted to present them. Um, As a dancer myself, now I'm not a professional ballet dancer by any means, but as a dancer myself, I was kind of tired of seeing... um, a lot of the the stereotypical images, especially of female dancers, are often um, depicted as these very fragile, um, weak. A lot of the images I'm thinking of, black swan, kind of very delicate, <laughs> the delicate, yeah. And the idea of the, all of the physical work that goes behind dance and the labor that goes behind dance is often unseen. So it's a lot very similar to my interest in archives, right? All the work behind the production. It seems like a fairy tale moment when you know the Nutcracker every year when the, when those curtains open up and you hear that song. Like there is a certain sense of magic, but 
there's a lot of hours that go behind sure, the, yeah. the, the, the wardrobe, yeah. the lighting design. So what we decided to do was to do an exhibit about the work behind the dance. So we tried to, I think we filled up a whole large plexiglass box of point shoes. I think it was 280. I'm making numbers up now, but I've, I said it confidently. So we'll pretend that that's... <laughs> we'll believe you. I'm not going to go back to the archives yeah, and check. Yeah. There's 282 point shoes. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but yeah. Yeah, we'll pretend. Um, folklore, right? Mythology. Here we go. <laughs> Creating my own myths. Um, yes. Yeah, so that entire case was ha- what represented how many shoes a dancer goes through in a year. Right. So that whole idea of like every choice that we made was about the work that goes behind even you know everything from from the ward. We actually created a little mini. Um, uh, dressing room so we showed where the dancers get all you know put on all their makeup and so it was really about the work behind behind the the dance i'm glad you saw it that's fantastic and i was actually thinking about it recently because i was not that long ago in winnipeg for the canadian commission of unesco meeting and um at the airport there uh there was an exhibit a small exhibit that had been curated about the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. Right, okay. And, and there was this fabulous thing where you were, when you were going out the, out of the airport, they had one of these kind of revolving doors. Yes. And they had cases built into the revolving doors with uh, mannequins with uh, costumes oh, in, how in awesome. the revolving doors. So as you were going through, you kind of got this little, you know, 30 second, you know, oh, little history fantastic. lesson of, of their costume history. Yeah, it was fabulous. And I love seeing, you know, kind of archive special collections out in the public. I think mm. that's really an interesting Interesting part of what we can do. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think we should be doing more. I just went to a fantastic conference in Denmark uh, at the SIBMAS conference, which is the international... Where you met my fans, my Belgian fans. Dale is famous in Belgium. (laughs) I just want to say I rode your coattails. I think I got a free beer just because I knew Dale, so... That was great. It's a small world. I mean, people who work in this heritage field, it is a small world. But actually, the Belgians are doing really interesting things with their their intangible cultural heritage, whatever that means. And really interesting performance stuff, too. Right? And I mean, even at this, uh, this, uh, the Royal Royal Danish uh, Library, every day at noon, there's a performance. There's some, whether it's a, a didgeridoo player or an opera singer or uh, from, I was there for five days and every day at noon we stopped our presentations. We went out and looked at the bridge because someone performed. Sometimes it was three minutes, sometimes it was 10 minutes. But that whole idea of changing how we look at spaces that we might think of as being maybe tired and traditional and reinvigorating them, but also the spaces that, that have those um, that people perceive them that way. They aren't that way, but people have that perception. They should also be trying to go out into the real world, mm-hmm. go out into like, you know, downtown and actually bring an archival document to someone and say like, hey, did you know this poster is from oh, I remember that show. I, You know, there's ways that we can be more... Let's- Let's talk about posters. Let's do it. That was a nice segue. That was very, that was very smart. It's, like it was I, like we planned that. It was. <laughs> we didn't, listeners. It was all improvised. Uh, so the poster collection, yes. which I didn't know is the largest online performing arts poster collection in North America. It is. There's, there is more than 3,000. I think we're closing on 4,000, hopefully after I... 
hopefully Liz Picard will give me her amazing poster collection too because <laughs> uh, that's a whole scene that we have only a slice of that whole downtown punk scene um, but it's fa- it's a phenomenal so how this, collection how did this collection start it started with uh, Gail Gail Ware who was the archivist in this position before before I was here and she is so smart she she actually would go out to coffee shops to theater venues like the Arts and Culture Center the LSPU Hall and say listen when your show's over can you keep that poster aside for me and and I'll come down and pick it up she also went to bulletin boards on lighting on uh, what are those calls poles lighting poles yes thank yes. you <laughs> I'm gesticulating a pole it <laughs> <laughs> doesn't work so well on radio they can't no, see you no, just, you're no, acting okay. dancing okay. at the pole darn yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes so she would actually take the posters off the poles um, and I've I've taken up that tradition and done the same thing so the posters come to me in a variety of different ways sometimes I've just seen a show and I'll take the poster off the door as I'm leaving the venue Um, sometimes it's it's there's two posters that are right next to each other the show's tomorrow I think I'll take that extra poster. I don't want to interfere with the actual advertising of the event. That is yeah. for sure. Um, but yeah, so, and then sometimes people will know, for example, they've heard me on Wham! or heard me on this lovely podcast and thought, that girl who gesticulated the poll, she also <laughs> collects posters. And they might call me up yeah. or they might send me an email at csquigley at mon.ca. Good plug. Uh, thank you very much. It's smooth like butter. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they might uh, phone me or whatever and say, I've got I've got a whole bunch of posters. Or I have friends that go places. like They might go to St. Anthony and might go to Cornerbrook or Grenfell and say, I've got all these uh, fantastic posters of things that happen outside of where you live so so i'm i'm always looking for posters on road trips there's always several posters in my car yeah Yeah. there's a there's a little tradition this isn't a performing arts tradition but there's this amazing little tradition around the bay roberts area okay of um funeral posters have you heard of this interesting so uh there was a printer there were several printers i think in the bay roberts area who would print funeral notices okay so uh, when someone died and the funeral was going to happen they would they would print off a, a poster and they would put it up around town yes and this is a tradition that still continues oh, how in that area and so quite often when i go to the mall in in yes. bay roberts there will be a funeral poster up i'm i'm always so tempted to steal the funeral poster yeah and i don't because i feel that that's kind of disrespectful in right, some way right, but right. it's a really interesting kind of micro tradition How and, and these things are so um uh, ephemeral right absolutely and this is the thing with your poster project is qu- these posters get generated and no one has ever really thought of saving them but they really are an important kind of window into pop culture and you know contemporary culture Absolutely. It tells yeah. you a lot about the kinds of works that our, our artists are doing. I mean, just from the titles alone, you can tell that they're inspired by the socioeconomic situation around them. Um, the design, the poster design itself, like I've been talking to a few uh, emerging and now established poster designers in the city, and they're telling me, Colleen, I'm going back to your poster collection because what they're doing in the 1980s where they literally clipped out you know magazine that's that's an aesthetic i really like so how can i as a poster artist myself get inspired from this collection and move it forward so that's also something that's really exciting when when it's not just about um about the show but it's also about the poster itself so i I, it is a really exciting collection i mean posters don't really fit neatly into the whole copyright act so that was interesting trying Mm. to navigate where does this live are they public are they works of art or are they public memos what kind of 
So our poster collection does have, uh, if you look on it very closer, there, there's also like a very light copyright watermark. A watermark, yeah. And that's to protect not myself, but it's to protect the artists that created the poster. My worst fear would be someone would see the potential commercial um, benefit and profit from these artists' work and not give back to the artists. So I have no intention of doing that. I just want to showcase this is our heritage. And also, if there's any way I can connect um, connect people to an existing, uh, an existing website, for example, the founder of that band might have another band now. So, mm. okay, if you look at the metadata, here's their here's their. Ex- web website or podcast address or whatever so I have no interest in making money I just want people to be aware of it and do cool things with it but these things do have potential commercial value that's that's an interesting yep. thing you know that uh, because they are so closely tied to nostalgia people pay for yes. nostalgia yes you know and I know you know I was traveling last year and I was in Vietnam and they had these amazing um, propaganda posters from the Vietnam right. War yes. era and that is a big uh, Market. There's a market yes. for that. So yes. I, I came home with some of these fabulous, yes. you know, yeah. communist Vietnamese propaganda posters, you know. And, and I'm sure that you, when we look at, you know, concert posters and rock posters, you know, this is a this is a big online business. Absolutely. You know? I'm sure that, yeah, there's someone who would love to pay for like a like a bung poster or exactly. Thomas Trio poster exactly. or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. And and for us we give we give copies of the posters for free if they're for research or private study or for satire. We follow the copyright act, but um, yeah, there's there's so much potential for where these posters can go. And for future poster artists out there, please put your name mm. on the poster design. Write it down that you actually designed that poster and the date. That would be great. Uh, (laughs) Put the metadata on the bottom of the poster. You would not believe how often the posters will just say May 2nd. Right. May 2nd, 1985, 1987. Or if it's a show that has been uh, remounted yearly. When was that Scrooge? Was it 2001 or was it 1995? Because you use the same darn image for yeah. a 10-year period. But you talk about the Nutcracker, the, which has been happening here for how many years? 30 years, 30 is, years. is the upcoming, uh, yeah. is coming, upcoming anniversary. So I'm sure there's 30 years of Posters, materials. Posters, yes. And I'm sure many of those don't have dates. Or... That's, yes, I hope that won't be the case now, as I'm the chair of Kittyway Dance Theater. <laughs> so, so I always make sure it's archivally proper. Absolutely. Right? There'll be archival standards that must absolutely, be Absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> Post, the poster collection is, I really feel like it's one of our most underused collections because yeah. I think it can be studied from from uh, an art history point of view. How how are artists using, because some of the works that are, there's Jerry Squire's work, there's Manny Buckite's work, there's there's a Brent lot of... Boland, you know, ex- amazing stuff. Exactly, yeah. exactly. There's some amazing, amazing work. Um, yeah, or even like the graffiti art that's around. There's some really awesome work, but it... it and I'm hoping that it's online, it's on the DAI, it's searchable, that people will also find it through Google. So that's my hope. That so if people want to see these amazing posters, where can they go? They can go on the DAI, and if they just uh, put in the search title, Performing Arts Posters, it should be come up, Collection 143. Um, or if you look under the Buy Sponsor tab, right. under Archives and Special Collections, it's there. And um, for those people who are listening in, the, the DAI is the Digital Archives Initiative, and that is collections.mun.ca. That's so correct. people can go there and, yeah. and find the poster collection there. Absolutely. Or you can find it from the library website. So that's mun.ca slash library. So it's a pretty obvious, hopefully obvious <laughs> location. But yeah, the DAI also will have this podcast archived there, accessible. Yeah. We as archivists are, yes, we're interested in, in in collecting the material, keeping the material safe. But we also want people in the end to use it and 
and ideally use it in a creative, exciting way. That would be great, not in a... Yeah. So, yeah. Tell me about the stage project, because that's another big ongoing project that is, I think, a really important record of our community here. Absolutely. The stage project started in 1991 with the lovely Gail Ware, who I've mentioned before, and I will always mention Gail Ware, because she was such such a phenomenal archivist and really had foresight into what we would what kind of material we would want now and in the future. Um, and the lovely Dr. Denise Lind in yeah, the English, English department. department. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they started this out of, um, gosh, I think in 1991 they had a, a panel session about theater um, preservation and theater scholarship in the province. And one of the conversations that came out was how, yes, the poster and the script and the photographs and the recording, that's one aspect of our heritage and history and our events but it's really the experiences that the costume designer had that the sound technician had that the actor and the playwright it's the experiences surrounding um, the performing arts that give you a better sense of who these people were why these events took place what was the motivation towards them Um, so really it's having these conversations with people is what they, they they wanted to preserve that which is kind of not preservable the intangible experience so how best can we do that as folklorists and archivists and we turn to oral history that is one of the best ways to really get to know someone is to have a conversation exactly exactly so they started doing um they got funding through shirk the social science and humanities research canada pot of money um they got several actually several stages of stage were funded through shirk so they're their snappy name the reason it's called stage i know you're dying to know why what is the acronym <laughs> it is the shirk theater archiving grant enterprise <laughs> oh, that doesn't yeah. sound strained at all no no stage <laughs> so no it's the oral history of mainly theater people related to theater yeah. in this province and we have interviewed people from all over the province we sent students for for several year periods, go they would go back to their homes, wherever that would be, whether that's Nain or Rigolette or St. Anthony or Grand Falls, and they would interview people in their hometown. So that person might be um, might be a stage designer who spends their summers in, you know, wherever, in Bay Roberts, or it could be someone who maybe it was the local pastor who did the variety show every year. So what was theater for that town? So um, all of those interviews, which now... There's, there's have some stops and starts with this project, but it's basically basically been going on for thir- more than 30 years. Uh, and that's over 300 interviews. And they're all ready oral history nerds. You're going to be so excited. <laughs> oh my gosh. 300 interviews that are all recorded and fully verbatim transcribed. I know you can hear the angels singing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So it's phenomenal. And basically in 2011, 2012, when I came on board here, we reinvigorated stage. And we also thought, okay, what are are we missing in these oral histories? And there's this whole conversation within oral history roundtables and forums about um, is the voice enough? Especially when you're talking with with, uh, theater just gesticulators like guys you'll never be able to ever see my gesticulation of the pole like it was was epic epic really like yeah it's 
and it's now an intangible memory, really, really. Yes. Um, so where was I going before I went <laughs> towards the intangible memories? Um, Just about that. You, some of these are using video. Yes. Yes. And, yes. Right. Yeah. That's where I was going. Yes. So right. We started actually videotaping people. And so we've got a little YouTube channel. So we try to put th- some things up there. We've got a great Facebook page. We try to post post an excerpt of an interview every every week or so. Um, and we've applied to, to Shirk to get to enhance our website. So what we really want now is people to start using these interviews because they're phenomenal are you interested in how often the little theater first of all Tara's looking at me going what's the little theater the little theater what is the little theater it was a theater that now we call the reed theater in the arts and uh, arts and min building here at mun um if you're interested in what kind of venues happen there what are the types of events that well you could do a search of all of the interviews and say okay I'm looking for anybody who worked with Andy Jones. I can give you 55 interviews that talk about Andy or Andy's work or how it influenced their work. So it's phenomenal. And I know you're all dying to come and do some research. I mean, it is fantastic. So we've got more than 300 interviews that are fully transcribed and done by our students here at at MUN. Which is great. Like that provides training for students and they may not go on and become folklorists or archivists, but it's a great, uh, you know, practical experience in doing heritage work. Yeah. 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 And it, and it really is kind of a who's who of the theater community. It is. I I think uh, this is my totally unscientific uh, opinion, but I, I think it's probably the, one of the biggest and longest running oral history programs that we have in the province. I think in the country to be, be totally yeah. honest we we have a lot like lots of communities have had oral history projects um in newfoundland and labrador but the stage project has you know like you said it's been running for 30 years yeah uh, 300 interviews like it's it's pretty impressive absolutely yeah. it, it really is and whenever i go to conferences and i talk about the the bulk of and also what the span the geography of what we're it's not we're not looking at just what's happening in st john's in a certain time frame we're looking at what's happening everywhere at all times i mean i mean it is it is quite it's quite ambitious to yeah. be totally honest so so we've, yeah. we've talked about stage project we've talked about posters is there are do you have a favorite do you have a favorite folk? <sighs> do you have like a favorite little collection oh, people ask me this all the time dale there's something they, cool they that they all they all want to know what's my favorite <laughs> what's folk? the secret uh and i say i love them all just like a mother yes. loves her children and mothers i do have a favorite child though <laughs> I'm, we they all might. know that. It, yeah. it depends on the day. That would you be know? me and my family. Of, of course. course. Yeah. Of course you're number one. <laughs> Why are we not surprised? Um, yes. No, uh, it depends on the day. There are some days that I'm like, you know what? That David French collection is phenomenal. I'm thinking of that one because it, it's relatively new to us. And uh, David French... If you know him as a playwright. Right. Yep. Um, his work with the Mercer trilogy and the, the plays related to that family are, are phenomenal. And he's well respected in the whole country. But he kept everything. So he he kept even the poems that he submitted to the Canadian boy when he was 12 and a Boy Scout growing up. He kept um, his dear... Dear John letters from 1965 with his, you know, his teenage girlfriend. So to see the development of a very well-respected and um, playwright from from his prepubescent period till his death, what he kept and how much he kept and how he organized it, that's a really fantastic collection. But they're all they're all phenomenal. One of the ones I'm also really inspired by is the Rossley collection. I don't know that. Oh, the Rossleys are so fantastic. So, ah. <laughs> uh, 
And I've digitized the whole collection, so it's all online, R-O-S-S-L-E-Y, Rossley. I think if you Google it, it will just come up okay. mad, like magic. Um, or if you go on the DAI and put in Rossley's, it will also come up. Um, they were a vaudeville troupe. So Jack Rossley. Really? And, yes. Huh. Okay, don't steal my idea because okay. I'm going to do some research on it. Uh-oh, I, this is not a good venue for <laughs> well, talking about out. research. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay, anyone can steal my idea. We'll, I guess we'll beat each other we'll to the publisher. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so Jack and Marie Rossley were vaudeville. He was a vaudeville uh, comedian um, in turn of the century. He, it sounds like he came from Scotland, but then was based in New York State. And then his wife, Marie, was a burlesque dancer. I mean, it's, it's like ripped out of Gypsy Rose Lee's biography. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. They married. They had two children, Bonnie and Victor. Um, and Bonnie was also a performer. So the the Rossleys had uh, the, a little vaudeville troupe um, that they moved to St. John's in 1911 from New York. Mysteries. Why did they move? Amazing. No one seems to know. And they lived here for six years. So from 1911 to 1917. So there's a lot of information if you look at the Evening Telegram. If you just do a keyword search of Rossley's of all the Evening Telegrams that have been digitized by the lovely Center for Newfoundland Studies, you'll find over 2,000 hits because... They not only did they have one theater, they had three theaters. They also had a theater on Bell Island. They mixed um, live theater with the burgeoning film. Um, so they had silent films and an orchestra and live performance in front of it. They they hired, I think there's a point where they hired over 40 people. So ushers, band, actors. Um, and they also took their kitty group, the Rossley Kitties, traveling so they went to new brunswick they went to atlanta canada they went all over the place so it who are these rossleys how did they come here why did they leave why did they stick around in st john new brunswick and not st john's newfoundland so many questions so much excitement that is what archives is all about and that is a perfect note upon which to end uh colleen thanks for coming on the show yay <laughs> I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at ich underscore nl. Thanks for listening.